Happy Friday before Christmas. Are you ready for a story, friend? Are you ready for Christmas cookies at Grandma's house and trimming the tree for her because, well, she needs a little help doing that? And are you ready for a surprise and the tears that often come this time of year at some of the most unexpected times? You know, I think tears are good. How about you? Let's get a little misty-eyed together with a story about a young girl whose mission is to not make her grandmother cry. It's coming up today at the Radio Backyard Fence as we present another edition of Chris Fabry Live, the program from the heart, for the heart, and to the heart. Remember, the story you hear today may be something encouraging someone else needs to hear. Let's get going, first by thanking those behind the glass, Ryan McConaughey doing all things technical. Trisha as our producer. Our program is recorded, so we don't have a phone answer today. This conversation happened last December. Let's see what it might do in your heart today. And since it's Friday, yeah, that's right. Look at the calendar, the 22nd of December. This is going to be special. It is time for the fabulous Fabry Friday Psy. Here's what it does. One, we oxygenate your blood. Two, we get your endorphins going. Three, we raise your serotonin level. Four, we promote lymphatic drainage. And five, we stimulate your parasympathetic system. That's why we call it the five lung languages. We also stimulate your vagus nerve. We help you release acetylcholine. And don't forget what it does to cortisol dissipation. Take in four seconds of air through your nose. Hold it four seconds, and then as you release that air through your mouth, push on the left side of your rib cage to get rid of all that bad carbon dioxide. Today's size for the person who has some trepidation concerning Christmas because you know your emotions are going to flare. It might be because something funny you remember that your son or your daughter said, and then you're going to realize how fast it's all gone. Maybe the mist in your eyes will be because of an empty chair at the table this year. Or it could be you're holding a grandchild and the flood of memories comes over you and the tears come not out of sadness, but out of this inner expressible joy that can't be bought or sold. Today's fabulous Fabry Friday size brought to you by the Society for the Preservation of Freely Feeling All You Feel. <laughs> That's what we do here at the Back Fence. Help you feel all you feel. All rights reserved. I put a question on Facebook last year and uh, I grabbed a big box of tissues and came in here and I, I asked, what Christmas memory always brings tears? It's as close as I can come to the story you're about to hear and you're going to hear that. And then last year we opened the phone lines for you to answer that question, what Christmas memory always brings tears a reaction to the story. That's one of the things I like about reading my stories here on the air is that when I write them, I rarely get response. You know, I have my own response. But when I do them on the air here, then you get to respond. So you're going to hear that coming up. Don't call us. Our program is recorded. In fact, I got an email from Ginger. Ginger said, if I could impose on you, Chris, you read on the air sometime back a short story you wrote about a long-lost Christmas gift belonging to an older woman. The story of its discovery and presentation to her was mesmerizing, and I have looked for it online to no avail. Could you perhaps send me a link to the story? The plot and writing brought tears to my eyes, and I would like to remind myself, always in my own writing, what truly good storytelling is all about. So I wrote Ginger back, and I said, Ginger, great minds think alike, 
because this is the program that we're going to air on the Friday before Christmas. It's titled Whisker Kisses, and I sent her the story, and I'm going to send it to you today. But wait, there's more. (laughs) Each month, we choose a resource that is our thank you for your support. December's a big month for us. December's a big month for any ministry, for that matter. And for a few more days, we are offering a book that really took the breath out of me for the last three years or so I've been working on or waiting on a story to be published titled Saving Grayson. My pal Jerry Jenkins helped edit this story with me, and he says from the first haunting line of Saving Grayson, premier storyteller Chris Fabry mesmerizes with the tale of a man at war with the ticking clock of his own fragile mind. I like that. Thank you, Jerry. Um, so you'll ask from that, what is the first haunting line? Well, the first haunting line, let me turn here, and you can get your copy of this as well. I'll tell you how in a minute. But the first page says, page one, yellow legal pad. I keep telling them I'm fine. I keep saying there's nothing wrong. But by the way, they look at me in the stirring. I feel I believe we're both right. There's nothing wrong and everything wrong at the same time. My life is a muddy river and the river is a story and the water is the words inside. All we are is rivers and creeks and streams. And where we meet is the confluence of our stories, the way we intersect with one another and flow towards something bigger to find meaning and purpose and, above all, love. I'm trying to get this out. I don't know if it's right. Think about your life as a river, and you are being carried toward the rocks and white water. I have to focus on what I know and what I can do with what I know. That's why I write it down. So here's what I know. She died at the river. Someone killed her. So the whole book is basically a, a an unraveling of the unraveling of Grayson Hayes, who has been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. The epigram, which is the quote at the beginning of the book that sets everything up, is by G.K. Chesterton which we talked about, uh, we've talked about here. We are all under the same mental calamity. We have all forgotten our names. We have all forgotten what we really are. That's how I begin Saving Grayson. It's a novel from my heart to yours. It's our thank you this month. If you go to the website, chrisfabrylive.org and give a gift of any size. And if you're especially generous around this time of the year, it's a wonderful thing. Because as I said, have I said December's an important month for us? Yeah, I have said that. Give a gift of any size, though. I'd love to put this in your hands. I think there's, there's a lot of people who are walking through this who are caregivers, um, or you know someone who's walking through this, go to chrisfabrylive.org, or you can call the number 866-95-FABRY, 866-953-2279. Let me send you a copy in the mail and see what happens in your heart as you read the novel, Saving Grayson. So let's get in the Wayback Machine now and go back to December 2nd of 2022, to hear Whisker Kisses. All right, before I read uh, the story that I have for you today, I want to tell you where this idea came from. Mature Living Magazine has asked me to write some short stories for their publication for the last few years. It's been really fun. 
Uh, many of them I've read here on the air. Faulkner famously said that a novelist is a failed short story writer <laughs> because a good short story is not easy. It's, it looks like it's, you know, well, it's shorter, you know, but a short story is not easy because it's, it's a snapshot. It's very controlled. It's a brief image of life that captures in space and time some kind of emotion, some kind of a situation, and then it leaves the reader with something to do. You know, what happens after that? And it makes you think. And I hope that's what this uh, story will do in your life today. And I look for these ideas just in, in wait, walking down the road and with conversations that I have and uh, things that I observe. The, the conversations we have here many times, it will spark some idea. And some time ago, I lost the timestamp on this. An email came in, and here's, here's what it said. Hi, Chris. My father passed away in May of 2009 after a two-year battle with cancer. Every year, a few days before Valentine's Day, he would hide a valentine for my mother somewhere where she would discover it during her daily routine. Several months after he passed away, my mother found a final valentine. My father had hidden it well so that she would not find it until after he was gone. A final romantic gesture and one treasured by my mother. And I kept that for a long time, thinking, boy, what a great idea for a a little story, something that was left behind by someone you love who no longer is here. And I chewed on it, and what came from it is a story called Whisker Kisses. So when we come back, you're going to hear that story from Mature Living Magazine, and then I want to hear from you. Either you, you can react to the story, it may spark a memory of your own, or you'll have a question about you know what was going on in the middle of that, and you want to talk about that. Or, or you want to get in line now, like those on Facebook have done, to answer that question, what Christmas memory always brings tears. Now, if you hear a phone number from our conversation last year about this time, don't you dare call us. Our program is recorded, but I hope you'll sit back, grab something warm to drink, maybe put your arm around a grandchild of yours or somebody who means something to you, and tune in today because it's going to be good. Whisker Kisses is straight ahead on Moody Radio. Maddie Simpson was seven years old, and she knew she had one job. She was going to her grandmother's house and vowed not to fail. Her mother leaned down before they got in the car, so close Maddie could smell the coffee on her breath. Don't make your grandmother cry, her mom said gently. Try not to stir up the memories. You remember what happened last year. Maddie remembered it all too well. She had tried hard to be good, to not whine or make too much noise or do anything else to upset her grandmother. Most important of all, she tried not to say anything about her pawpaw. But when her grandmother picked her up and looked into her eyes, Maddie couldn't hold back. I miss his whisker kisses, she said. Her grandmother crumpled into a chair at the kitchen table grabbing a napkin and holding it to her face. The tears came with a wailing sound. 
and Maddie felt bad that she had done something so awful. She wouldn't make that mistake this year. As her father drove, Maddie's mother lowered the volume on the Christmas music. Your grandmother has agreed to let us put up the Christmas tree. She couldn't do it last year. It was too painful. Because Papa loved Christmas, Maddie said. Her mother nodded. He loved decorating and making sure all the lights worked. He loved buying your grandmother gifts. He was an incurable romantic. What's that mean? He always showed his love by giving her little things. That's why Christmas is especially hard for her. And that's why she didn't put up a tree last year. Right. And she only agreed to put one up this year if we would help. The house was warm and filled with an aroma of freshly baked cookies. Maddie ran to the table and saw dozens of gingerbread men and stars and snowflake shapes ready to decorate. She hugged her grandmother and remembered the way Pawpaw always picked her up and twirled her close to the ceiling, but she didn't say anything. As the adults sat and talked in the kitchen, Maddie wandered down the hall to her grandfather's study. It was just like he left it. The dish with his favorite peppermint candy still sat near his coffee mug. She ran a hand along the spines of the books behind his desk. He loved books almost as much as the peppermint candy. Low on the bookcase was a large Bible storybook he always read to her. She opened it and looked at the pictures and could almost see his wrinkled hand on the page, pointing at David and Goliath or Daniel with the lions. His voice. She remembered how it made her feel. When he said her name or prayed before meals, His voice made her warm inside. Time to get the tree, her father called from the hallway. Ready, Maddie? She followed him downstairs, and he let her bring a box of ornaments to the living room. Soon her father had the artificial tree put together and was stringing lights. Maddie opened the box and gasped at the silver and gold ornaments, along with the tinsel and garland. She found a box of hooks for the ornaments and began pulling out the contents and arranging the silver and gold balls on the hearth. In one corner, hidden by a lump of tinsel, was a small box wrapped in bright red paper. There was a tiny envelope taped to the front, and Maddie noticed the handwriting looked like pawpaws. She leaned closer and sounded out the word, Helen. What was that, Maddie? Her father said. Who's Helen? That's your grandmother. It's her middle name, but that's what your grandfather called her. Why do you ask? Because I found this, she said, holding up the box. He stepped off the stool and let the string of lights fall to the floor. He took the box and stared at it as if in a trance. He glanced at Maddie, then back at the box. Oh, dear. What is it? I think we ought to put it back, he said. Footsteps behind them. What's all this whispering in here, Maddie's grandmother said. Maddie turned, startled. Her father stepped in front of her and discreetly handed her the box. 
You're not supposed to see the tree until we get all the lights and the ornaments on. Now go back to the kitchen. His voice was playful, but Maddie could only stare at the red box. There were no retreating footsteps. What do you have there, Maddie? her grandmother said, craning her neck to see. Her father stepped aside, and Maddie held the box behind her like she'd been caught eating a cookie before it was decorated. Let me see what you have, her grandmother said. Slowly, Maddie held the box out and stared at her grandmother's face. Her mouth formed an O as she stood frozen by the fireplace. Finally, she took the neatly wrapped box and read the name on the card. Where did you find this? she whispered. In the box with the ornaments, Maddie said. But how? She looked at Maddie's dad, then put a hand to her head. Spencer died in October. How would he have... Maybe it was left over from the year before, Maddie's father said. She wandered back to the kitchen, and the four of them sat at the table with all the cookies cool and ready for frosting and sprinkles. Mom, what is it? Maddie's grandmother shook her head slowly, then held out the box. I don't think I can open it. Would you? Now it was Maddie's mom's turn to stare at the box. Finally, she opened the envelope and pulled out a card. With a trembling voice, she read the words. Dearest Helen, I found this in a shop after Christmas last year and decided to wrap it and give it to you this year. It's going to look so pretty with one of your Christmas sweaters and those beautiful green eyes of yours. All my love and Merry Christmas. Spence. Maddie watched, breathless, as her grandmother unwrapped the box. The pendant inside sparkled in the kitchen light. It was gold with green and red stones. Her grandmother put a hand over her mouth. He was always doing this kind of thing. Flowers, candy, anything I said I liked, he would find it. When we took the quiz about love languages, it was clear as day he just loved giving gifts. My language was words, so he started putting little notes. Her grandmother began to cry, and her shoulders shook, and the tears came, and Maddie jumped up and ran down the hall into her grandfather's study and sat behind his desk, her head in her hands. She had tried so hard to keep her grandmother from crying. It was her one job, and she had failed. Someone came into the room, and without looking up, Maddie said, I did it again. I made her cry, and I promised not to. Her grandmother spoke, kneeling in front of her. You stop that now. It's not your job to keep me from crying. But my mom said, your mom means well. She doesn't want to see me hurting, and she doesn't want to hurt either. But I went and stirred up all the memories. You stirred up good memories, Maddie. I don't ever want you to forget your grandfather, how he held you in his lap, the candies he would give you when you came over, 
the stories he told, the croquet games in the front yard. Don't forget that. The old woman smiled. I won't forget that as long as I live. Then her voice cracked, and a tear ran down her cheek, and Maddie brushed it away like her father had done to her own tears. But I'm not supposed to make you cry. Crying isn't a bad thing, Maddie. It's a good thing. It means you've lost something special, and the tears remind us how special it was. They're kind of like Pawpaw's whisker kisses, aren't they? She smiled. Yes, they sure are. And I'm glad I waited to put up the tree because you and I will always have this memory, won't we? Maddie's eyes blurred and she nodded. Oh, Spence loved you so much, her grandmother said. And then the dam burst and her grandmother hugged her tightly and Maddie saw her parents in the doorway wiping something from their eyes And it seemed like everybody in the house was crying. But somehow, through all the tears, it didn't feel like she had failed. We stir up a few more memories today. That was a story, Whisker Kisses, uh, from Mature Living Magazine. Trisha linked it at the website if you want to read it again. Just go to chrisfabrylive.org and you'll see the green tab right there of uh, how to read that. They did a great job with the, uh, the pictures that they included in that article. Stacy said about 14 years ago, Fourteen years after my mom died, I found that she had written letters to Santa when I was a baby. I miraculously discovered these letters when I found that the village newspaper had put them online. I printed them up, framed them for my brother, and gave it to him. He cried when he read them, and so did I. Here's our number, 877-548-3675. You can respond to, to the little Maddie story there, or you can tell us the memory that you have. Maybe it comes from a, a real painful place in your life, or there's joy in the midst of the sorrow. 877-548-3675. We'll start with Mona in Florida. Mona, tell me why you called today. Hi, Chris. I um, called today because my memory of Christmas is bitter and sweet. Uh, nine years old. My mom had given me up for adoption. She came back for me. We talked in December 1981. And I remember she put me to sleep and promised that she would wake me up, we would go to church, and she would make my favorite meal. Um, I woke up. She was gone. And I remember being confused. Family members told me that um, she had went to visit a family who passed and was going to be gone until January. I spent that Christmas feeling abandoned, um, sad, because my mom, who gave me up for adoption, just got me back in June, and now she disappeared again with no explanation. And so March is when finally, back in 1982, we didn't have a video chat or a cell phone. 
receive a cassette tape with a message that she had gone to America and she was going to get a job and try to provide us with a better life. I remember being bitter through the years that she did not have the strength and the courage to let me know that she was going to leave and she lied. <laughs> and so she got very ill and was in the nursing home for years. Two years ago, between October to December, I knew it was the end. She was in hospice. I went up to Connecticut and um, said my goodbye, did some videos for myself for closure, um, took lots of pictures, brushed her hair, fed her. And I was supposed to come back literally on December 22nd. So two years ago, December 22nd, 2020, um, she passed. And um, at her funeral, in the um, my speech and in her obituary, what I said was, um, December 1981, you left and didn't say goodbye. But this time around, you remembered to say goodbye. We had a conversation. I brushed your hair one last time. I fed you one last time, and I kissed you one last time. We prayed one last time, and I thank you for remembering to say goodbye this time. And so last year was the year of the first. I never thought Christmas would ever be the same because she died December 22nd, and we buried her on the 29th, and it was dark last year. Last Mona, I can, tell, I can tell why, uh, and hang on, I want to talk with you in the break. I can tell why you say there is, it is so bittersweet that, you know, just to see that nine-year-old girl and the loss and all those questions. You told that story beautifully, and there's more to come straight ahead on Moody Radio. We are stirring up some Christmas memories today on Chris Fabry Live. We'll get right back to the topic in just a moment. I've been telling you about the Pro Abundant Life Gospel-Infused Ministry of CareNet, and this is a great time of year to highlight them because they come alongside women and men who are in a crisis pregnancy. They want to save the life of the child, of course, but they are really committed to discipling the woman and man because they know our biggest need that we have is the liberating love of Jesus. CareNet has developed Making Life Disciples, which is a program to equip churches to provide compassion, hope, help, and discipleship to women and men who are considering abortion. Maybe your church would like to get involved. Click CareNet when you go to chrisfabrylive.org. There's a green button right there. Click CareNet. And find out more today at chrisfabrylive.org. Now let's get back to some of the Facebook responses from our program last year. Tammy says, the memory that brings tears is my pup. Yes, we're going to talk about animals, okay? <laughs> my pup pacing and finally getting his wish to lay on the tree skirt made by my grandmother many years ago. The pup has been gone for a year and a half now. And I feel heart heavy wishing he were still here. So just the sight then of that tree skirt and that image of that dog. Our dogs always, you know, it's like you turn around three times, three or four times until you get just the right <laughs> way to, to lie down. You know, you got to get comfortable. 
Elizabeth, this is really interesting. The year I stopped being a teenage hermit in the basement and came up without being asked to help, uh, asked to, and help put up and decorate the Christmas tree. My mother started crying because she didn't have to fight with me to get me to participate. I still have blunted memories of that episode. I was severely depressed, but I'm glad I made my mother happy for once during my teenage years, which were pretty horrible. See, Elizabeth, thank you. And I I told this to Mona that there there may be somebody who's listening who has this really, you can't, you feel like you can celebrate Christmas uh, again because of the heartache and the the struggle and just hearing some of these stories like Elizabeth's. And what about Darcy? I was at the airport two nights ago dropping off my grandkids to catch their flight home. We saw a soldier who was joyfully being greeted by his family. It brought tears to our eyes. This is not a distant memory, but I want want it to stay etched in my mind so that I pray more for these families who sacrifice so much for my freedom. Amen to that. Darcy, thank you. Rick is in Pennsylvania. Hi, Rick. Thanks for calling. Go right ahead. Hi, Chris. Um, my uh, it, <laughs> this story still makes me break up a little bit. But uh, mm-hmm. My father died in uh, 1991, and after the funeral, we're sitting around Mom's house and going through a big trunk full of pictures and cards that they had exchanged uh, in their 40-something years of marriage at that point. And uh, I came across a, a Christmas card that uh, my father had given to Mom. And uh, after, you know, his, uh, you know, love of Frank, uh, there was a P.S. And it said, thank you for the greatest Christmas present a man could ever hope for. And uh, I was just getting ready to ask my mother if she remembered what that gift might have been when I... Uh, noticed the date on it. It was 1956. And it uh, suddenly dawned on me that he was talking about me, because I had been born the week before that. And uh, immediately <laughs> burst into tears, and we had a had a nice cry over that. So oh, that's, uh, okay, so the, here's the question. Did you feel... Was your dad of you know, somebody who showed love outwardly, gave you a hug, told you he loved you every day, that kind of thing? He was not an especially affectionate man. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, we we hugged and, you know, sure. occasionally, but it wasn't, uh, wasn't part of his normal uh, routine to express affection in that way. So I, I think that's uh, possibly what made it hit me quite yes. as hard as it did. Exactly. That's what I was thinking. And and again, you know, who's listening right now who had a, a mom or a dad and they weren't as expressive. That's why I, I worked the love languages into that story. It's because, you know, we, right. we right. all express it differently, you know, and, but to see those words of your father, it's almost like when Jesus comes up and the dove descends and this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, that's the kind of feeling that you had deep down when you read that. Right. Yep, yep, absolutely. Yep. God bless you, friend. Thank so, you for, uh, for calling in today. Merry Christmas. God bless you as well. You too. That's Rick in uh, Pennsylvania. Got room for you too. If you have a story, something that 
really brings up the emotion of Christmas, 877-548-3675. Michelle's in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Hi, Michelle. Tell me why you called. Well, I called because I heard, well, I'm always listening, and I heard what the topic was. And my mom today is bedridden. Mm. Um, She suffered a stroke in 2018 and um, suffers from, like, chronic um, arthritis and uh, rheumatoid, rheumatoid arthritis specifically. So she can't move and her joints and if anybody hears me that knows what that looks like, um, her hands and her feet are completely distorted. But when she was in her prime, um, she was a doer. I mean, she did everything. She tore down cabinets, put them up, laid tiles. Would and and my mom was married to my father, and he was also a doer. But you know, a lot of times she had the option not to work. So what she would do is work in the house, work with us, be home with us as much as she could. I'm 55. My mom today is 84, and I grew up pretty much in South Florida. And thankfully, I was able to be raised by her and my father, but she had a whole lot of time at home. But when the holidays came around, she loved Little Drummer Boy. That was her favorite. So we always had the music playing in the background. And when we celebrate Christmas on the 24th, we're Hispanic and European. So, you know, we would buy the food, the... We were big seafood lovers here, so we would peel the shrimp, shine the silverware, um, make sure that the glasses and all that are are done. And in the background, and every time Little Drummer Boy would play, she's like, oh my gosh, that's my favorite. (laughs) (laughs) So I wanted to um, commemorate her. Today, she's not very functional, even, and, and her mind comes in and out. But when it's here, boy, it's here. <laughs> yes. Isn't that, a, and that's a gift. You know, when you, when you're able to see a glimpse, you know, get peek, peek through the curtain and you see she, she responds to something. I, uh, Michelle, yeah. you got to give me your address. Cause it sounds like I'd love to be around your house and eat those, <laughs> uh, eat the shrimp. Cause I am a seafood kind of guy. And that yeah, sounds that's like, what we do. And it's everybody, you know, when you have, when you have shrimp and other seafood, it's like, there's a lot of preparation that goes on with that. It's all hands on deck. And so everybody's doing something, right? Exactly. Exactly. Always something. And then, so we would start the holiday or Christmas, in fact, on the 24th. Okay. That's what we do on the 24th. But because her birthday is on December 30th, well, why stop at the 24th, right? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I know it would drag on and on and on. So we had people that would come in from, you know, New York, New Jersey, France, wherever they were. And then they would come in and we would celebrate and it would just drag on for at least a week and a half until, you know, oh, and then we're Hispanic. We celebrate the sixth and it's, you know, it has another sure. name. So sure. from December 24th through January 6th, we're celebrating, you know, being together, loving on one another, and even our friends and our neighbors, even, you know, people in politics, whatever, we're family. 
at least for this time, we're family. And and now seeing her, you know, her diminishment and seeing she can't do like she used to do. And, you know, I think a lot of people feel if you if you can't do any more than you're the worth, the value goes down, or maybe even the fear, the love for me goes down because I can't do. And I hear it in your voice, Michelle, there is no lack of love or diminishment of your love for your mother. If not, it's even heightened. And uh, I was looking through my scripts here the other day about when the two Michaels are on, and I, one of the things I said is they put the pa in pa-rumpa-pum-pum, <laughs> the little drummer boy. Thank you for sharing that. God bless you, friend. There are more memories coming up straight ahead on Moody Radio. Michelle says, the last Christmas I spent with my mom in 1975, this is what brings a tear to my eyes. She would pass in March from an ectopic pregnancy. I was five years old, and I remember it like yesterday. I believe God gave me my lasting memory of her. After a near-death experience in Afghanistan, Barb says, our son was able to come home for an unannounced visit. His wife surprised us, picked him up at the airport. When our son walked through the door, it was heaven sent, a Christmas to remember. Last Christmas, Lily, I spent part of the day at the hospital with my husband who was dying of COVID. Hard memories, hard, hard memories. At the time, I still had some hope for his recovery. This time of year will always be hard, reflecting back to those days. I'm glad he's no longer suffering. I miss him very much. And if you're in that place right now, God bless you, friend. There's a, Jennifer posted a picture. My daughter, who's 13, gave this to me last Christmas. It's a clear ornament with pieces of handwritten notes. And it looks like, to me, it looks like what I love about you. And you can kind of shake it up and see it. And uh, she says, this is my favorite thing that brings tears to my eyes every time I see it nestled in my curio cabinet beside my bed. Tom is on the line from Chattanooga, Tennessee. Hi, Tom. Go right ahead. Hey, Chris. Thank you. Uh, um I tell kind of like a tribute to my father. He um, he was not a very expressive guy, sort of like the other guy I mentioned. His father wasn't. But uh, one year, there was a surprise box under the tree, and it was a Daisy BB gun, the old lever-action Winchester style. <laughs> and he had surprised me with it, and we took it out in the backyard. And uh, he uh, so he put a target on the side of the wooden garage, and I shot at it and all the bbs went high and to the right and he realized that it didn't shoot right and he and i was looking at him he he started looking like he was about to start crying and he uh he said he had the only way he could afford to buy it was to get it at one of these kind of salvage places where you buy stuff as is and if anything is wrong with it you're just out of luck well it was in a box and it was apparently a new gun, but it was defective. But anyway, uh, it didn't take me long to kind of use Kentucky windage, as they call it, to aim low and to the left, and I could shoot it really well. So I spent thousands of hours with my friends shooting bottles in this creek near my house that was polluted so nobody would be in there barefoot and get cut. And uh, 
you know, it's, it, I had loads of fun with it, and it sure made him happy when he saw that it was would be you know usable and fun to use. Well, and that that no. the deficiency, you know, the the pain for him not being able to give you something brand spanking new, as my dad would say, but something that was was quote unquote defective, and you showed him no, it, it, it the thought that counts, it's it's the gift that you use, Tom. That's a great story about you and your dad. And uh, let me take another call from. Uh, that area, Georgia, is where Marsha is calling. Marsha, why did you call today? Yes, my son uh, wanted a Transformer Optimus Prime toy back in 1985. And we went to the store. They were out but gave us a rain check. And soon after, we realized they did not have any anywhere. That was at the time when they no longer carried them anywhere. And everyone wanted one. And he said, Mom, I believe the verse in Hebrews that said, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I believe that toy will be under my tree Christmas morning. (laughs) And I looked everywhere. I called everyone and finally said, okay, God, I cannot do this. He's believing in you. I can't do it. Christmas Eve, the phone rang. It was the store with the rain check saying they had one toy that had come in (laughs) with my name on it. And they had absolutely no clue of why. But if I would come get it, don't open the bag because there'd be a riot. Just give them the money and walk out. (laughs) He had the Optimus Prime toy Christmas morning. Wow. Uh, See, and not only you could, I bet you couldn't wait to see him, you know, see his face, right? Oh, he was totally confident that the toy would be there. (laughs) I wasn't, but he was. So I've never forgotten the story of God's provision and honoring what he believed. Marcia, thank you. And there are so many of these. uh, And again, there's music. There are people who have been away that are coming back. Silent Night caused caused my mom, uh, when she would sing, she would sing in broken English. She didn't pronounce the words correctly. As children, we would tease her and she'd get mad. But she kept on singing. Now I hear the song, Maria says, and the tears flow. It's been 23 years. Christmas morning, 1968, Michigan, snowing and bitterly cold. Farmhouse dining room, the young doctor making an emergency house call. Unusual even back then. He waited while I gave my dad my present, a pair of socks. My older sister gave him her present too, pajamas. My mom immediately ushered me into the living room so I would not see the ambulance whisk my dad away. Ice storm and blizzardous snow raged for three days, separating me from my mom and dad. I slept on the couch with my mom's house coat and good Sunday skirt till she came home. I never saw him again. I was four. Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. Well, I can understand I can understand. And there are others who are writing there that are saying, you know, uh, I had, I had, I don't have a whole lot of, of nice things that happen that I can remember. And I get that too. I want to end with something that Sarah wrote though. Uh, and you can read this on Facebook if you want, Sarah, thank you for posting this. The year was 1973. I was young and very much in love with a man who had become my husband It was our first Christmas together, 
and it was at that first celebration that I was introduced to the lighting of the Christmas candle. I didn't know then that this lighting of the Christmas candle would become one of my most cherished Christmas traditions. Samuel Hardiman Jones Sr. held in his gnarled hands an old brass candle holder. The skin on his hands was as transparent as his heart, and the tears slid unbidden down his wrinkled cheeks. The brass candle holder had once belonged to his mother. As he lit the candle, he was reminded of the Christmases of his childhood when his mother's young hand held the light on those dark December nights of long ago. His mother was now a sweet memory that was awakened every Christmas when he would hold in his hand the same candle holder that she had held in her hand, and he would weep. I learned that year that tears were a part of the Christmas celebration. Samuel Hardiman Jones Sr., with a voice that choked with emotion, explained the significance of the brass candle holder. Then he lit the candle, and as he did, he spoke about the tender mercy of God. This light is to remind us that we have been visited by the sunrise from on high. Jesus has come to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. When great-granddaddy died, I was given the antique brass candle holder. Every year I would ask Papa, great-granddaddy's son, to light the Christmas candle. He would take the candle holder into his hands that had become twisted by the years, and he would pause as the tears gathered in his eyes. With a voice husky with emotion, he would light the candle and remind us that Christmas is about when the light of the world penetrated our darkness. The year Papa died was difficult. His bride of 64 years had died just six days before him. As Christmas was approaching, my daughter broke down and wept. Beside the olive wood nativity, I had placed the candle holder. But Mama, who will light the Christmas candle? I knew the pain in her heart because it was in mine as well. Your daddy will light the candle and we will all weep. We will remember Papa and Grandma Bell and all the ones we love who are no longer with us, and we will weep. However, we will not grieve like those who have no hope. We will light the candle, and we will remember why Jesus came. I wrote that ten years ago, Sarah says. Now Steve is gone, and the question arises again, who will light the Christmas candle? I will. When I light it, we will remember those who are no longer with us. Joy and sorrow and hope represented by the light that entered our darkness. The light that is not extinguished by darkness. Sarah, thank you for that. And thank you, friend, for coming alongside us here at the Radio Backyard Fence and sharing some of those stories. We've got great programs ahead, great conversations ahead. I hope you'll join us all this month on Chris Fabry Live a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. Thanks a lot for listening.